The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. I'm going to give you an update on our Lenten fast in just a minute, but first I want you to think of a time uh, when somebody told you something that you didn't believe was true because it was unbelievable, but then you actually had it proven to you that it was true. Has that ever happened to you? Um, it probably happened to most of us at one time or another. So think about that for a minute while I'm talking about this next thing. Um, you, you probably remember, if you've been with us at all during the past several weeks, that we've been doing this special fast, and we finished that up last week. Did anybody have a really delicious meal this week, like celebrating the fast being over? <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, well, uh, last week we, we were at about $1,100 that we donated by, by not eating out as fancy and not buying fancy foods and so forth. And I said that, you know, it'd be great if, if we could get it up over 1500 with the people who kind of give at the end of the season. And we did that. In fact, we did it and then some. So our total as of today is 1914.06. So we're really close to $2,000. It's going to go to our local justice initiative, The Bridge, which is now kind of expanding and becoming a parachurch thing. And uh, they're going to use that to help the cause of hunger and good nutrition among Rochester's poor. So really awesome stuff. Now, we are taking donations today as well, and you can give online today, but I think it closes today. Is that right, Elliot? Today's the last chance to do that. So can we hit $2,000 by the end of the day today? We can. Of course we can. Um, so once again, Artisan, you people are, you guys are generous sons of guns. I'm, uh, I'm really proud of y'all. Um, I don't know why I'm suddenly from the South, but... Uh, <coughs> Woo-wee! <laughs> well, last week we finished up that long Lenten series. We'd been doing it since February, believe it or not, uh, called Beauty for Ashes. And we, we concluded with a, uh, looking at a story that, that brought the whole concept to its dramatic point, which is that God wants to give you a garland or a crown of beauty in exchange for the ashes of mourning that are, that are heaped on your head. And, of course, that whole idea is, is centered around and hinges on the resurrection of Jesus, um, that most incredible and important and great moment in all of human history. And so I thought um, that before we move on to our next series, which will start in a few weeks, I wanted to take a couple of weeks and, and talk about what happened next. Uh, what happened after the resurrection? How did Jesus' followers react to this event. Um, and maybe in so doing, we can think about how we, as Jesus' present-day modern followers, can react to Easter, which we just celebrated. And so we're going to look for the next two weeks at two events, two instances of Jesus appearing to some of his disciples and what happened when he did it and how they responded. And today's story is the story of the very first skeptic. 
Um, now, there's plenty of skeptical people today. Some of us are skeptics uh, on one level or another today. People who, who uh, ha- have trouble accepting the resurrection as, as a, a true event. Um, certainly, uh, many of your friends who are not churchgoers probably think you're crazy if you think that this actually happened. But, so, so we were familiar with skeptics nowadays, but what you might not know is that it took less than one day for the first high-profile person to, uh, to doubt the truth of the story. And so let's read our gospel passage, and as is our custom, let me ask you to stand for the reading of the gospel. That page number is wrong by one. It's 883 if you'd like to read along with the Bibles that are uh, provided there. It's John chapter 20, verses 19 through 30. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Yeah, some of you know that the formal way to respond to that is to say, thanks be to God. But most of you don't because you're, you know, uh, Christian hipsters. And I'm, we love you. <laughs> uh, you can be seated, though. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, we have this weird mixture of traditionalism and whatever our version of the opposite of traditionalism is. Um, but it's fun. So I want to take just a minute and look at the setup of the story, because the story, as you probably noticed there, of doubting Thomas, as he has come to be known, uh, doesn't actually happen right away. Um, there's a little bit of setup there. So the first thing I want you to notice in verse 19 is that, that this is the same day as the resurrection. Okay? Um, the story we read last week ended with the verse right before the story that we're reading today. And uh, it says, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, which was Sunday. Um, So it's, it's, this is literally like 12 hours later, maybe. Um, Not long at all. And Jesus appears to them 
and says, peace be with you, which we love, uh, being people who pass the peace to each other. Um, and then he shows them his hands and his side. And he says, peace be with you again. And then he does this interesting thing and he breathes on them, um, which, is, which is a little bit weird. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'm not sure that's the first thing I would do. <laughs> um, but if you know your Bible a little bit, you can think back to the very, very beginning of this grand story and the creation of the first man, which God affected by doing what? Breathing life into him. And of course, all these disciples would know that story. I mean, backwards and forwards and inside and out. And so Jesus comes to them and uh, having, having risen from the dead and breathes on them. <laughs> and suddenly you see this picture of the Son of God uh, embodying and enacting creation. It's as if he's saying, we're starting, starting again here, folks. Um, and, and breath, of course, is the same thing as spirit, too. And, and, he, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And suddenly there's the Trinity right there in that room. God the Father, creator of all things, the Son, the risen Lord, and the Holy Spirit. All in one, uh, all in one place there in this one little story. It's a beautiful picture. The other thing that you notice, if you look at his appearance to these disciples, is that when we, uh, when we get to the story of Thomas and what his demands are before he will believe, he actually doesn't ask for anything beyond what they've already received, what they've already seen. Without being asked, it would appear, Jesus shows the disciples his hands, where the nails were, the holes where the nails were, and the, in his side where the the spear had pierced his side on the cross. And so you might ask, why wasn't Thomas there to, to witness this? Um, maybe he just has bad luck. Uh, but maybe there was something going on. We don't know. But he's not there. But then he doesn't actually want anything different from what the, the other disciples have already seen. And so we, we, we think of Thomas as this profound skeptical doubter, and uh, we're going to embrace that a little bit this morning, but if you think about it, uh, his, his demand to see that is basically him saying, well, I want to see what you saw. You guys didn't necessarily believe anything before you saw it either, right? Um, it might even have been as much jealousy as doubt, like, oh, I can't believe that I missed this great moment. But either way, whether he's, whether he's just annoyed that he wasn't in the room or whether he is really, really skeptical and doubting, um, the truth is that I can easily, easily imagine myself having the same response that, that Thomas had to these events. And so I want to look a little more closely at him and, and the part of the story that follows this little setup. Um, <clears throat> If you think of it, it's kind of amazing. Christianity is barely 12 hours old, and we already have our first skeptical person. And it's not 
it's not some Roman soldier. It's like one of the twelve is, is one of the big, is, is the first Christian skeptic. So let's look again at the timeline. We mentioned in verse 19 that this, this appearance of Jesus to the other disciples happened on the Sunday of the resurrection. And you see in verse 26, it's a week later that he appears again to the disciples when Thomas is with them. Now, a week doesn't seem like a very long time, unless you're waiting for a package in the mail. But imagine yourself in Thomas's position, having experienced all the events of the crucifixion, Jesus' arrest and torture and execution, and then a whole day plus of utter silence. Then these crazy stories from the women that they had been to the tomb and it was empty and that some of them even, even saw Jesus. And then another, like hours and hours of silence. I mean, it's, let's say it was 12 hours later. That's a long time. Can you imagine for all these disciples thinking, well, the women saw him this morning. Surely he will be here any minute. <laughs> but they had to wait all these hours. And then Thomas missed it. And I can only assume that he thought to himself, well, I don't believe this, but if Jesus is real, like he's probably going to be back tomorrow, maybe. Surely by the next day. And no, day after day after day, it's been a whole week. Again, a week, you know, what is that? But for Thomas, you kind of imagine, that was, this was probably the longest week of his life. Which brings me to a, a pretty subtle, but I think pretty important fact about this story. And the fact is this. Thomas, a week later, is still with the disciples. That's significant for two reasons. First, that he didn't abandon them. And second, that they didn't cast him out. It would have been pretty easy for him to separate himself from that community, wouldn't it? To say, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm not important enough for Jesus to have appeared to me. Not sure what I did, but you know, maybe, maybe I'll just go get some fish. <laughs> maybe I'll go back to whatever my life was before. And whatever happened to these guys, it clearly is not meant for me. But he didn't do that. He stayed with them. And on the other side, it would have been pretty easy for the other disciples to say, hey, listen, Thomas, you know, we've talked about it together, and we actually think that your your faith is not very strong. And they probably quote some Bible verse that hadn't quite been written yet about, (laughs) about faith being the assurance of things unseen. And really, Thomas, really, we love you. We do. We love you. And we believe that Jesus loves you too. But if you don't believe, then we are at an impasse. And probably this isn't the place for you right now. You know, someday down the road, if you get to the point where you can really believe that Jesus is risen, 
come back. It's an open door, Thomas. They said none of that. None of it. He was with them. And they were with him. And it's so important. It's so important. Look at the fact that Thomas got his wish. (laughs) He got to see Jesus. And he got to do exactly the thing that he demanded. But where did that happen and in what context? It happened in the same house with the same people. And if Thomas had left, had drifted away, which would probably have been understandable, and if the disciples had, had kind of elbowed him out and hadn't made room for him despite the fact that he doubted the truth of this story, I don't know that he ever would have seen Jesus. Jesus appeared to the gathered community. Thomas got his wish, his demands were met, in the context of these people of faith who were gathered together. And if the point is not yet painfully obvious, let me state it directly, that we need to make room for people who have doubts. Um, Not just in theory, but in actual practice. We need to embrace people who who come inside these walls and say, I don't believe it. By the way, we also need to make room for the people who have have been people of faith for a long time and then something happens and they think, oh, everything is shattered. It's falling down around me. Today, I don't believe it. So help me if Artisan ever becomes a place where, where people who have doubt cannot feel uh, at home and feel that they are actually part of what's going on in some level in spite of those doubts. So that's the community of faith. That's the response of the community of faith to Thomas's doubt. <clears throat> and I think we ought to uh, respond to that by replicating it as much as we can. But the even more important response to Thomas's doubt is, of course, the response of Jesus himself. And notice what Jesus does and doesn't do. He also doesn't abandon Thomas or reject him, or say to Thomas, well, I'm sorry, but you had your chance to believe, and that was that. Now, he does praise those who will come to believe without seeing, right? And I think, by extension, that is us. But he doesn't condemn Thomas for saying, I need to see it for myself. In fact, he accommodates it. Now, this is not a biblical promise that God will always accommodate whatever demands you have (laughs) for proof. Um, We talked, I I mentioned, was it last week, about the difference between proof and evidence, and I I don't think we're guaranteed the first one, even though the second one does exist. But he accommodates Thomas's doubt to the extent that he actually invites Thomas to do the very thing that he said he would need to do before he could believe. 
And our response to that community model is to try to emulate that and replicate it in our own community. I don't know what we do to respond to, the, to what Jesus does except to say, thanks be to God. <laughs> one, of my, um, one of my favorite writers is a Catholic writer named Flannery O'Connor. And she wrote um, something in a letter to a friend once that we have um, recorded. And it was our worship meditation this morning. And, and it's, these words are really, really important to me in my own life. She said, you arrive at enough certainty to be able to make your way. But it is making it in darkness. Don't expect faith to clear things up for you. It is trust, not certainty. So if somebody ever quotes you those, that verse from Hebrews 11 and says, well, faith is the assurance of things unseen, and if you are not absolutely certain about them, then you don't have faith. I would suggest to you that the opposite is true, that if you are absolutely certain about them, you don't have faith. You have something else. might be pretty sweet, but it's not faith. It is trust, not certainty. And I think that's, that's kind of what Thomas had for that week. He had just enough trust to stay with the people. And Jesus came through for him. Now, let me go back for just a minute to the words that Jesus said to the first group of disciples before Thomas was with them. Verse 21. After the third time, he says... Peace be with you. Oh, excuse me, the second time. He says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So he's given them this proof of the resurrection. He's breathed on them as if to, to, to reenact creation in them and to give them the Holy Spirit. And then he sends them. And I think that is, the, uh, I think that is pretty much the way it works. You receive your faith, and you are sent. As God sent Jesus, Jesus sends his disciples, and that includes us. And I don't actually think Thomas is off the hook from that either, even though Jesus doesn't repeat that command when, when Thomas is actually with him. He certainly hints at it when he says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And it's it's that that struck me, that Thomas has the most compelling story to share with other people of any of the disciples, because <laughs> they all got to see it right away. They didn't have to live with this week of nothing, but Thomas went through that. He's the one who said, I don't believe, not yet anyway, not until I see some proof. And he's walked through that week and then been given this experience with Jesus where, where he, he comes to believe and confesses, my Lord and my God. Now, let's say Thomas and one of the other disciples are trying to, both trying to tell some skeptical person about Jesus who has the better story to tell. Who can be more convincing in that conversation? Oh, it's Thomas. So congratulations, doubters. You make the best evangelists. 
And nobody wants to talk to people who are certain about everything all the time and have never had a, a moment of doubt. Well, if you can't tell, this is something that, 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 that I feel fairly personally because I'm a person who has struggled with doubt myself. Um, well, up until I became a pastor and then all better. <laughs> sure, she says. Yeah, that's funny. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's the reality that I live in. I don't know about you, but that's, that's where I walk. And so I want to give you a, a brief personal epilogue to this story and tell you about one of the ways that I um, cope with doubt and one of the ways that, that I think God um, reaches to me uh, in spite of doubt and through doubt. And the way I would describe it is that my, my faith has been supported and strengthened by, by art. It may be a kind of a weird thing to say, but that is, that is a true thing for me to say. That, and, and you've heard me mention this a couple different times, a couple different ways, but I think you come to understand truth by different roads. Um, all of us come by, by both of these roads, but most of us come by one road more than the other. And the roads are, um, there's an observational road for you math and science types, and then there's an intuitive road for you uh, humanities types, right? And I'm a, I'm a humanities type myself. Um, and so, so science and art, if you will, are these two great disciplines of, of human history, and they both can help us come to faith despite what some would have you believe about, about them being incompatible with faith for one reason or another. But there's the scientific observational way and there's the, the artistic um, intuitive way. And uh, I've been influenced by both, but primarily by that second way. Now, some of you are going, yes, me too. And others of you are going, that is so weak. <laughs> um, I love you. I hope you love me too, because <laughs> it's the only way to get through this. But um, so there are certain, 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 uh, and there's another way to say it: certain works of art that have that have uh, been helpful to me. And I'm going to share two of them with you this morning. The first is a song. I'm not going to sing it. Um, I'm not even going to play it for you. I'm just going to read some of the lyrics to you. It's a, it's by a, a band called Over the Rhine, which many of you know, and I'm a a big Over the Rhine fan, and they released an album last year uh, called The Long Surrender, and it has a song at the very end of it called All My Favorite People. And I'm going to read you just a couple of stanzas of this song because this to me is a, just a perfect picture of what our community ought to be when we look at people who have doubts. Um, and this doesn't do it justice at all, but I put the song on Artisan's Facebook page today, so if you'd like to hear the song, you can go listen to it. It says, all my friends are part saint and part sinner. We lean on each other and try to rise above. We're not afraid to admit we're all still beginners. We're all late bloomers when it comes to love. All my favorite people are broken. Believe me, my heart should know. Orphaned believers, skeptical dreamers, step forward. You can stay right here. You don't have to go. Um, 
despite my uh, sixth grade poetry class recitation of that. <laughs> um, hopefully you can still hear the, the beauty in those words. Um, and there's a number of other different works of art, but I want to share just one more with you. And it's all these things. It's song, and it's, it, but, but uh, this one is a painting. Um, I've shared this with, with some of you before, and if you've ever been in my office, you've seen this on my wall. This is uh, by the Italian master Caravaggio, and it's called The Incredulity, The Disbelief of St. Thomas. It's a fairly graphic painting, uh, wouldn't you say? Um, but I have never seen an image anywhere that captures this story as well as this one does. <clears throat> you notice in the story there's that little word here. Jesus says, put your hands here. It's like he's pulling Thomas in. He's not saying, okay, Thomas, take a look. He's saying, put your hands here. And Caravaggio gets it. He gets it. He's, Jesus' hand is right there on Thomas's wrist saying, like, you wanted to see this? Here you go. Um, God, I love Jesus. Like, look at... <laughs> This is, this, is the, this is the Lord we serve um, in spite of our, our unbelief. I'm going to let you look at that for a minute um, while we prepare to take communion together. And I hope that this table seems especially open to you today, uh, regardless of your imperfections, uh, be they those imperfections of, of sin or those imperfections of doubt, um, or the, the vast gray area in between. <laughs> um, this table is open to you if you are, you are a person who would say to Jesus, let me see it. <laughs> um, sometimes we've said, we haven't said this in a long time, but we used to say it a lot. If uh, Jesus, Jesus instituted this sacrament around the dinner table with his disciples, and if, if Jesus were to invite you to dinner with him, would you say yes or no? And, and uh, if you would say yes, then, then this sacrament is for you today. Um, so I'm going to invite you to do that while we continue to sing. You can come and receive this bread and the wine, this food for your souls, as John Wesley called it remembering his broken body and his shed blood and his resurrection and the peace that he wants to breathe onto you. Come and receive it.